Hey, we're concluding a series, if you would could call it that. It's called Listen Well and Speak Slowly. We've been spending the last few weeks as a church praying, taking time in the month of August before we gear up in September uh, and say, God, what do you have for us? What would it look for, for us as a community, as a church, collectively, to pray? To stop and say, you know what, we believe wherever prayer focuses, the power of God falls. And so let's actively do that as a community. And so tonight we conclude, before we launch into the fall, uh, with listen well and speak slowly. Over the last few weeks, we've been doing some very interactive type deals uh, with prayer. I want to give you a heads up tonight. Tonight is almost going to be in a classroom format context because there's some things about prayer that we need to learn and discover together, but I'm going to give you some application for this week, and I I really hope instead of us just doing the corporate application here that we corporately apply it together uh, this week. Uh, In fact, this is one of those things that we don't often talk about, but, but I believe is actually a really big need for us, and especially when we're talking about prayer and talking about uh, some of the, the stuff coming up for us as a church, community, our dreams, and for you personally in learning uh, how to pray. So let me pray as we begin. God, thanks for tonight. Thanks for bringing us all together. Thanks for just the time to be here, and thanks for the day off tomorrow for many of us and ask that you would show up, you would speak, you would teach us, and God, give us hearts to hear from you and the courage to apply it as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, The month of September is the month we celebrate my daughter's birthday. You know, one day she'll look back on this message and she'll go, wow, one person clapped. No. <laughs> uh, she'll, she's turning nine years old. I have three kids, if you don't know. I'm a proud papa. But she's turning nine years old. And I remember the day she was born. And the day she was born was one of those awesome, extremely long labor days. I remember telling my wife that, you know, it really hurt my back during labor, and she didn't think that was funny. Um, And it all started off great. It started off awesome. And then a couple months into it, something happened with her where all of a sudden she stopped uh, literally pooping. You know, and like, okay, a day, no poop, whatever, two days, what's going on? A week? Like, that's not, if you know babies, they do a few things on automatic. They eat, they cry, they sleep, and they poop, you know, automatically. And she stopped doing that. And so we called the doctor and said, just give her a suppository. It's probably no big deal. So we gave her a suppository. And then a week turned into a month where she wasn't able to go to the bathroom on her own. And a couple months, and we had to use suppositories this whole time. Really graphic. She'll probably be really embarrassed when she gets older about this story. I apologize (laughs) in advance, Ella. Um, And eventually we went to go see the doctor after a couple months. They said, bring her on in, and checked her out. And I said, you know what, you need to go see a specialist. And I mean, I have a 
three-month-old daughter and my first kid, and like your whole world, if you don't know, is like wrapped up into this little being, and you had no idea you could love someone that much, and this capacity to love like you thought was this, and you thought you had it, and all of a sudden it went boom, and it expanded, and you're like, where did that come from? I don't know, but all, you're looking at this little being, and you're going like, I know you're kind of alien looking as you, like when they first come out, but I still love you, you know, and that's just like, I love you. And now, three months into it, we're going to specialist. And this dream that you had made up of what family looked like is slowly shattering. Four months into it, they said, you know what, she's got a rare intestinal disease. She doesn't create the enzymes in her intestine to process. Uh, and she was actually underweight and what the doctor said, failing to thrive. And we're going to have to do surgery. And so six months into it, my six-month-old, they said, we have to do surgery where we have to cut her open and actually literally take out about four feet of her intestine. And, and she's just a little six-month-old baby. I, I got to tell you, in that time of life, I prayed differently. I prayed radically honestly. I was angry at God, if I'm really honest. I was angry. I'm sure that I've thought of a few cuss words during my prayer, and I probably spoke a few too. It was hard. What's going on with my little girl? And he wrestled with this question. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you're in this place. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What, what can you do when you feel like you can do nothing? When life's out of control? When, when health problems that you can't fix, when a relationship self-destructs, when it seems like the future is uncertain and you don't know which path to take and you feel overwhelmed, what do you do? In that moment when you're sitting with your six-month-old who has to go to surgery and you don't understand it, and I began to learn something about the way God says, hey, I long for you to pray, not just any type of prayer. I long to you for you to seriously pray. Hey, like, like, not like, hey, I'm throwing up a prayer or every now and again. No, get serious. How do we get serious in those times to come before God if it's really true that wherever prayer focuses, wherever we focus our prayer, the power of God falls. How do we get serious? And serious prayer is simply when my outward actions align with my inward spiritual need. When my outward actions align with my inward spiritual need. I spent a season fasting and praying for my daughter. Now, now the answers aren't always this way. But I'm so thankful how God showed up. I remember um, we were praying the day before she went into surgery, and our whole church is praying for my little girl. And I'm just so honored that others bound their arms with us, and we're praying for my little girl. And the day before she went into surgery, it was a Monday, I remember it clearly. She was going into surgery on a Tuesday, and that was a staff meeting day. I was going to miss it because we had to go there, and it was a Monday, and she pooped. We prayed for poop, you know? <laughs> And so I called the doctor. I'm like, hey, guys, hey, guys, she, she pooped. Can we, can we delay it? And they said, well, yeah, we can delay it. Let's see if this continues. And, like, every time she pooped, this is so weird to me, but, like, I, I'm like a germaphobe, right? And, like, poop all of a sudden became this, like, anthem of God's grace in our life, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it did. And he showed up. 
How about you? What do you do when you don't know what to do? What can you do when the circumstances around you, the situations going on, the stuff in your life, you realize there's nothing you can do? How do you respond? And what the scripture would invite you and I to partake in is an ancient discipline. It's called the ancient discipline of fasting. We don't talk about it much in church world. We don't talk about it uh, a whole lot. And so we'll, we'll say, hey, will you fast? And everyone's like, oh, well, sure. But what, what is it? And we're going to un- unpack that. Because fasting is literally aligning your spiritual need with your outward action of saying, you know what? Everything else doesn't matter unless God shows up. Unless he speaks, unless he intervenes, it doesn't matter. See, serious prayer is when my outward actions align with my inward spiritual need. And there's these ancient disciplines, and back in Judaism, there was three central ancient disciplines. They participated, these spiritual practices, these spiritual disciplines. Jesus actually addresses them in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and 6. And the first is that idea of giving. It's actually a discipline. It's a discipline to partake in, a spiritual discipline of giving. And he talks about giving, and he talks about prayer, and then he talks about fasting. Those are the three major central practices in Judaism, uh, spiritual disciplines. What happened? What happened? was they took something that was designed to create intimacy with God and made it religious duty before God. And so when Jesus begins to talk about it, he redefines it so it's no longer about religious duty but a pathway to experience intimacy with God. I love what Dallas Willard says about spiritual disciplines because our mind with spiritual disciplines were like, huh, I don't know. He says this, spiritual disciplines is an activity that I can do to receive the power to do what I cannot do on my own. Spiritual disciplines, when I engage in these ancient practices, these disciplines, it takes discipline to do it, it just doesn't happen, is an activity that I can do, something I can do. What do you do when you can do nothing? It says engage in these ancient practices to receive the power to do what I cannot do on my own. Jesus talks about it this way in Matthew chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up there. Matthew 6, uh, 16 through 18. He's addressing each of these uh, central disciplines, and he talks about fasting here, and this is what we learn about fasting with Jesus. He says, when you fast. Notice that it doesn't command you to fast, but it has this expectation. Jesus says there's this expectation that you will... In- have certain life situations that you have to, you need to fast. You'll encounter seasons in your life and have stuff come up where you go, man, I gotta fast. I need desperately the grace of God to intervene here in this moment. When you fast, do not look somber like the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they receive their reward in full. Now the hypocrites Jesus is talking about are are known as the Pharisees. They were this elite religious group. They would be the ones that everybody looked to and said, hey, they got it figured out. They're closest to God. And yet often what they did is they just made religious rules to try to get close to God, to work their way to God. But they were really actually quite far from God because they were hypocrites. Many of us, me included, are hypocritical, but at least we got to be honest about it. got to say, this is my starting point. He says, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. 
Uh, the Pharisees, they would literally fast twice a week. And, and they, these were powerful men in the community. They were respected. And, and so everybody looked up to them as this is the standard of how to live and what to be. And they could never measure up to the Pharisees. And, and so when they fasted, they would do it on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And they would disfigure themselves, put ash on their face, and walk around town all disfigured and moaning aloud, woe to themselves because they were so pious. And it says, when you do that, when you make it a public spectacle, guess what? You got your reward in full. See, the goal for them wasn't necessarily intimacy with God, wasn't necessarily God show up or desperately have you. The goal for them was we want the recognition of people. We want others to think highly of us. And he says, you got it. But that's all you got. See, motive matters, doesn't it? He says, when you fast, listen, Put oil on your head and wash your face. That's the normal uh, kind of grooming etiquette of the day. So that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Notice that secrecy is often the antidote for hypocrisy. Secrecy is often the antidote for hypocrisy. You want to make sure that you have right motives. Don't tell anyone. When you're serving somebody, yeah, there's times for me, you know, and it's so tempting, especially as a pastor, because I get to sit up here and I can tell you stories of, well, I did this. Well, why did I do that? Did I do it because I want to tell you a story about what I did? And there's times where just for the sake of my soul, I need to do acts of kindness and serve, and they can never be mentioned in a sermon because it's just between me and God and you and God. Secrecy is often the antidote for hypocrisy. If you want to figure out how to come to God with pure motives, you go, God, it's just me and you. It's not for anybody else. I'm not performing. I'm not putting on a display. I just need you. He says, and he'll reward you with himself. You'll experience the spiritual blessing of God. So what do I do when I don't want, know what to do? I would invite you to fast. If you're in a place where the future is uncertain, would you fast? Where relationships are self-destructing, you may want to fast. If kids are going down the wrong path, you may want to fast. If health is failing, you may want to fast. If you lost your job, you may want to fast. Major decision to make, you may want to fast. If you have a new venture to take, you may want to fast. If you're stepping out in faith after what God has shown you, you may want to fast. So what is fasting? Well, in the Hebrew, I love the word in the Hebrew because it literally means to humble your soul. Saying this outward physical act has this inward spiritual reality that when we outwardly display some things, it actually brings our soul into alignment. It is the humbling of the soul. And in the Greek, it just simply means uh, to not eat or to be empty, um, to suffer hunger. So if the definition of fasting, fasting is simply this. Fasting is the act of humbling our souls before God by abstaining from something for spiritual purposes. It is the act of humbling your soul before God by abstaining from something for spiritual purposes. Setting something aside to focus intensely on God, whether it's food or TV or media or whatever, most often for spiritual renewal, both corporately as one large gathering or personally. 
Fasting brings into alignment all of life with great focus and allows us to approach the throne of God with a reverent heart. It proclaims that nothing else matters if God doesn't show up. You ever been there where it really doesn't, nothing else matters unless he shows up? It declares our dependency on him and that our need for him is greater than our need for food, water, TV, or even other relationships. Fasting allows our soul to humbly commune with our creator in such a way as to strip away earthly distraction and bring our hearts to the true reality that he alone is the source of life. And fasting invites us to experience God at work when we don't work. Fasting allows us to experience God at work when we don't work. So when and why should you fast? And the reason we're covering this tonight is I'm going to ask you and I to partake publicly in a fast together, like corporately, we say as a community that we're desperate before God. And we say, you know, we got big things. Year one was great, and we're going to celebrate that next uh, week. But also, we're trusting God for big things. We're launching a new service. We're praying that we'd see these communities all around our city impacting and reaching the city, that our city would be transformed, that awakening isn't just a nice name, but it actually is the reality of what's happening here in this church, that dead people who walked in spiritually dead walk out spiritually alive because of Jesus. That was a great place for an amen. By the way, amen. that's where we're going tonight, and that's what I'm going to ask us to do as a community. Um, I already asked all of our leaders. I believe speed of the leader, speed of the team. What our leaders do is important, asking them first and foremost, let's do this as a leadership. And so what they're going to do, they're going to fast with us and say, you know what, Tuesday, I asked them Tuesday dinner, take Tuesday dinner, fast Tuesday dinner, uh, Wednesday breakfast, and um, Wednesday lunch, and then we're having a big leaders meeting September 4th, Wednesday night at my house, and we're going to break the fast all together. And I say, together as a church, would we lock arms and see what God might want to do as a community and say, if we get our hearts desperate, if we humble our souls before you, imagine what God wants to do in this city and this church for his glory and namesake. That is why we're talking on this tonight. And that's the ask at the end. I don't want to catch you by surprise. That's the ask at the end. So, when and why should you or I fast? The first is if you have a major decision or you need guidance. If you have a major decision or you need guidance. Now, I wouldn't suggest this to everyone, but it worked for me. I've been married coming up 11 years, and I mean, it's just amazing. I remember meeting Jenny one summer at a college group in Santa Cruz called Graceland, which is now turned into Vintage Faith. And we met, and this was like, for me, I was like, wow, you know, she's beautiful. And then I talked to her, and I'm like, wow, she's amazing. And like, I would kind of pursue her that summer, and she kind of seemed indifferent to me, you know. I wasn't sure if I was even in the room, you know, at times with her. She's like, whatever, you're cool, okay. You know, and I was just like, okay. But she was going at the time to a little school. Many of you may not have heard it. It's called Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. Um, oh, you've heard of it. Okay. And I went to a school out in Chicago. And as I left for school out into Chicago, I couldn't get this girl from Cal Poly off my mind. And it really tweaked me. You, you know, I was really bugged by it because I was in Chicago. I'm in this third largest city in America. I'm at this great school. There's all kinds of awesome girls around, and I'm single. I'm going, man, how cool is this? Another city? Get a new... I'm like, I was excited to meet a girl there, and yet there's a girl on the other coast, 
and I can't get my mind off her. And I literally started getting frustrated with God. I was like, God, I, look, I, I'm in Chicago. There's awesome girls here. I get my mind off this girl because I'd email her, by the way, and then it would take her like a month to email me back. <laughs> and then I couldn't help it. I just was so excited that she emailed me back. I'd email her like right back. <laughs> and then like another month, I'm just like, oh, this is killing me. And I couldn't get my mind off her. I said, fine, God, fine. If you won't let me get my mind off her, I'm going to fast and pray that I'll marry her. We weren't even dating yet. <laughs> I wouldn't suggest it. I wouldn't suggest it. But it worked. <laughs> it worked. It worked for me. It worked for me. But if you've got a major decision, maybe it's about the future. If you need guidance in where to go, what to do, maybe it's a relationship, you, you may want to consider fast and pray. Humble yourself before God and say, God, you alone hold the keys of life. I need to hear desperately from you. I need you to show up. Another reason is uh, if you're facing intense opposition, whether it's spiritual or physical, it may be someone that's just out to get you. It may be a boss. It may just be the whole current of how life works at your workplace, at your school. Uh, the story here in Esther is this young, young, beautiful girl gets promoted to power because of her beauty. She won a beauty pageant and now is the queen. And she happened to be of Jewish uh, origins and there's one guy that really hated uh, the Jews and so he was out to annihilate all of them. And so as he was doing that, she was caught at the crossroads. She was queen and she could either hide in safety or she could step forward, risking her own life to try to save her own people. And she called all the people in the city that were Jewish and asked them, would you pray and would you fast with me? And I'm going to go before the king and seek his favor. And they prayed and they fasted and watched God show up and intervene. You may need to pray or fast if you're facing intense opposition. Uh, preparation for ministry another reason you may want to, if you have ministry that maybe God's put something on your heart, there's a burning desire where you go, man, I long to see what could be and should be on my campus. I long to see what could be and should be at my workplace. I have a dream of how God wants to work and show up. I'm stepping into this new job. I'm stepping out in this new venture. God, would you show up and work? If you're stepping into that, you may want to consider and really fast before you step into that. I see that over and over in Acts and they're launching out into new ventures. Uh, and elders would pray and fast and sin. And this one, Paul and Barnabas out on missionary uh, journeys. Uh, another reason is a physical expression of sorrow, mourning, or grief. With sin, it's connected to confession and repentance. Where, where, man, you may be in a spot, real honestly, that your life's been like way off here and you get it and you're coming back and you just go, man, I long to start afresh with you. And you just may say, God, I, I need to fast. I, I'm so broken over the state of where I've been. I'm just going to say that food doesn't even matter at this moment. I just need you. And you're just broken about where you've been. And with circumstances, it's connected to God's will and deliverance. Where you look around at the world and what's going on, 
And with the human uh, trafficking, you're just so broken about it. You long to see God intervene that you would focus and pray and fast and maybe bring a few people on board. And maybe it's some issue around you that just breaks your heart because you know it breaks the heart of God. You say, God, let your will be done. Let heaven invade that space. You may want to fast. And finally, in times of great need. In times of great need. I... And that can be all over. It can be from health issues to just like decision making, all kinds of stuff. I remember uh, for us as a church, we're sitting in a place that God answered through a group of people who started a little over a year ago and said, we're going to pray and fast. And by the way, we didn't have a place to meet Last year, we were kicking off September, I think the date was 9, we were kicking off September 9, and we had no place to meet as of July 1st. We had two months, we had been searching for six months for a place to meet, knocking down every door, and had so many closed doors that finally, get a clue, said, listen, we got to pray and fast, we got to get serious about this, we need God to show up, we have huge need, because we're launching in two months, we told everybody, but we don't know where, (laughs) We don't have anywhere to tell anybody to go. And as we prayed, I remember the first week in July. I just remember it so clearly. And we were fasting and praying as a team of us together as we banded arms and said, God, we desperately need you to open up a place. And he opened up this place. And it was amazing because I was just driving around by chance and saw this, you know, new community center building. I was knocking down there trying to figure out how do we get in there and then saw this school. And I'm like, oh, and the first thing that drew me was this brand new theater, which we're no longer in. I'll share that story next week. Um, And... And as we did that, I was like, oh, no way. This is the school that a gal that did ministry with me when I was at Westgate, she's the one who leads uh, the, the, um, the facilities here. She makes all the decisions of facilities. They just got a new principal here, and she was open to us having us. And the gal who uh, does all the stuff for, at the district, she's like a Christian. She was super stoked. Like, is it amazing how God, like, worked everything together? I was told, it, had we done it a year earlier, there had been no way we would have been able to meet here. And yet, at right timing, perfect timing, as we gathered together, God opened the door. And we're here, and it's so much better than we could have imagined. It's a little out of work, by the way, to do this. But, I mean, at the same time, this last uh, Friday, we do something for the teachers and staff. We long to just express the love of Jesus to this community as tangibly as possible. And so we simply do Happy Fridays. We bring in coffee and donuts. And it was as if I was bringing in gold. Like, no lie. Because I showed up late. I showed up at 11, and the lady in the front office is like, you're here. <laughs> yes, I am. You know, and I brought it. And I'm like, I'm sorry I'm late. I was like, apologizing. She's like, no, we're so grateful you do that. And then, like, I put it back, and I hear her on the intercom. They're here. <laughs> like, the vice principal, like, jumps out of his office and comes forward, and they're like, dude, we're making an impact with stinking donuts and creating bridges to have relationships and share the love of Jesus. And we said from day one when God opened up this door, this is more than a place to meet a people to love. And we've seen him show that over and over. And it happened because a group banded together and said, we're going to fast and pray. God, we're in need. Would you show up? 
And that's what we're going to do as a community again as we launch into year two, that we would band together with our arms and say, together as a community, we're in need. We're in need for you to do a revival here. We're in need for you to show up with uh, might and power. We're in need for you to do some things in this city and shake it up and reach this generation and reach San Jose State and reach Santa Clara and all the JC colleges and reach uh, Google and Apple and yada, 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 and whatever, and young families and young moms and yada, yada. I don't know. The full stinking city. Come on, let's dream and pray like big prayers because we trust and worship the one who is able that we just sang about. And we say, man, you are our focus. And let's set aside and say, God, we need you to show up. We're going to humble our souls before you in this season and say, God, would you meet us? Would you work? So how should you fast this week if you're going to do it with us? First, examine your motives. Just to examine, I mean, Jesus talked a lot about that. And a fast should be God-centered and God-directed. You shouldn't feel guilted or manipulated to fast. If that's where you're feeling out of this talk, don't do it. There will be another season for you. That's okay. There's freedom there. Don't feel like, oh, I have to do or I have to. Go, man, I want to be a part of that. It's not a weight loss plan. I have a buddy that uh, at the birth of each of his kids, he would do a 30-day fast. And I always wrestled with that motive, honestly, uh, of like, you know, in the back of my mind, I kind of wanted to do the 30-day fast because I saw him like a stick at the end. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I've always been kind of, you know, a little thicker. Um, and so I thought, that's cool. I'm like, how do you deal with the motives? And, and he's just, he's one of those just guys that's only a couple years ahead of me, but I think he's light years ahead of me spiritually. And he's like, honestly, you know, you accept the benefits of it, but you just don't allow that to be the focus. That's not why you're doing that. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Okay, thank you. Examine your motives. A fast should be God-centered and God-directed. Set aside a specific amount of time, whether it's a day, a week, a month. If you do a month like no food fast, consult your physician. There's actually a, a thing. I'm dead serious, actually. There's people that do it, and it's great. I've never done it, so if you, I don't think it's like you have to do it, I, I've wanted to, I just like, one day is like really hard for me, I'm kind of hyperglycemic, and I get like, at, at the end of that one day, I'm like curled up in a fetal position, laying on the floor of my kitchen, and going, food, 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 <laughs> but please don't have it open-ended, set aside a specific amount, this is what I'm doing for this purpose. What is the purpose? For us as a community, saying, God, would you show up? Would you work in the 10.30 a.m. service? Would you awaken this generation? We're banding together to dream what God might do in this city. Would you set aside a specific day? You can do the Tuesday to Wednesday with us if you want. Then pray during the times you would normally eat or watch TV uh, I've fasted, done media fast. We've done that before together as a community where we just say media, and that may be where you're at. We, we're actually going to be tweeting stuff this week for you to pray about, prayer points each day, so don't media fast this week if you wouldn't mind, or at least stay on Twitter um, or Facebook. But pray during the times you'd normally eat. Take that time. So oftentimes, what I find in my life is what happens is the days I choose to fast, life gets way busier, and I actually don't do anything that is God-centered. It's just a busy day, and at the end of the day, all I know is I was hungry, right? 
You say, okay, this is a day where that normal time, that half hour for lunch or whatever you had or for dinner or these, I'm going to pray by myself or with a group of people. I'm going to allow God, you to be the center and you to be the focus and that we seek your heart, humbling my soul before you. And it takes intentionality because let me tell you, when you decide to do that, the enemy will attack you. And that's the second. Uh, beware of the enemy's attack and you'll experience a wave of discouragement, populous, possibly distraction. That's for me. Life just gets really distracted in those times. You might even have just um, derailed by sin or temptation or something. You just beware of it. As you begin to step, take steps intensely towards God, beware there's going to be opposition to that. And then finally, give what you didn't spend to the poor. In fact, right underneath there, jot down Isaiah 58. Just read that because here's the Israelites actually fasting and going through the function and form of it, but their heart is so far from God, they're actually doing the form of it, but actually not participating in what God desires of taking care of those around them. And when we fast, take aside, and I just challenge you to do this, to go, I don't know how much your lunch, those three meals cost. Maybe it's 10 bucks. Maybe it's 20 bucks. I don't know. But put it in your pocket and just carry it around with you and make this prayer. God, would you show me who you want me to give this to? It's amazing when you begin to look at life that way. And maybe it's five bucks, whatever. But you just have that in your pocket and you go, okay, as I fast, God, would you, here's the money that I normally would spend on food, but I want to make sure I give it. And would you bring someone along my path and you show me who to give this to? And he'll show you. And I guarantee you, you come back, you'll have a story of what God did to show up. And it wasn't just about fasting, but he showed up and how you were able to partner with him and give outside of yourself. It's actually a practice uh, that's powerful to have is you just keep like five bucks once a week or ten bucks and you just go, okay, God, what do, you, what do you have for me? I long to be your blessing to someone I don't even know. But would you give what you didn't spend to the poor? Uh, as we close, let me talk about what hinders our prayer. Because, to be honest, it doesn't matter if you fast, if there's roadblocks between you and God. So let's talk about that honestly. What hinders your prayer? And the first thing is we simply don't pray. Matthew, what is it, 7 there, says, Jesus is talking about ask and it'll be given. Seek, and you'll find. He gives the example, how much does your father, a good father, want to give good gifts? How much more does your God, your father in heaven, want to give you good gifts? And a lot of times, what hinders our prayer is our lack of prayer. We don't ask God. Prayer is simply a conversation with the God of the universe, keeping company with God. Would you pray? The second thing is we have unconfessed sin. If you hold sin in your heart, Scripture says God doesn't hear you. That you would confess it and get clean. That would be the beginning step for you. Or you'd say, you'd ask the Spirit of God and just simple, this simple prayer, God, would you search my heart and show me anything in me that doesn't please you? Let me tell you, He'll show you. He will. I, I pray that almost daily. And I also pray this other prayer. I was just reading this uh, this morning in Psalms 18. It, it talks about who can discern his errors. And then he asks this of God, forgive my hidden faults. I realize that there's things that I don't even see that displeases and breaks the heart of God in me. 
And as he shows me, and oftentimes when I pray that prayer, Holy Spirit, would you show me anything that is displeasing or breaks your heart? And he does. And oftentimes it's something I said to someone or thought I had, something I looked at, and he said, God, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness, that you would get clean, you would get pure before God. But then you go, God, there's stuff in me that I, I don't even know is in me. Would you even, would you cleanse me from my hidden stuff, my hidden crap, my, my secret sins that I don't even know? Things that hinder our prayers is unconfessed sin. James 4, 3 says that our motives, when we come to him with the wrong motives, when, we, uh, when we're trying to manipulate God and get our way, when we treat God like a genie and go, you know what, if I do this, then you have to do that, and we come with the wrong motives. Powerful prayer is when you stop trying to control God and make him your genie, and when you invite him to change you. You want to experience power in your prayer life? You say, okay, God, I give. It's not about a secret formula. It's not about the, how I do this. God, I'm not going to try to control you anymore. Would you change me? And you'll experience the power of God in your life. And lastly, and we kind of hit it at the end of the other one, when we give stingily, believe it or not. Proverbs 21, 13 says, If a man shuts his ears to the poor, to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. And you see it over and over in Scripture when our heart is so disconnected to the things that are on the heart of God that we look over the hurting, the broken, and the needy. When we are stingy and greedy, says, that disconnects you from me. When you shut your ear to the pain around you and overlook it, I shut my ear to you. That we'd be generous. So the application for us is real simple. As a community, we can't really do it in the time here, per se, but that we would fast this week, that you would lock arms with us as a church and say, no, this is my church, and I long to see God work powerfully in this city. And you would pray and fast with us about the launch of missional communities, about our birthday coming up and the 10.30 a.m. service, about God at work in our city through each one of you. And as we close, would you do that with us? Would you join us this week? And we'll tweet different things out so that you can know what to pray about. But choose a day, and you can do it with us on Tuesday if you want with leadership, or you can choose another time. But I thought to close, we'd do another act and that we would actually get on our knees and pray together. There's something about bringing our physical posture in line with our spiritual need. That's what fasting does for us. And there's other physical postures and bringing, getting on our knees before God and saying, we desperately need you. And there's this prayer that Paul prays in, at the end of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, in verse 19, I, mean, if I, I can't barely see the little numbers and he prays, he asks for prayer for himself. And I love this. He says, pray also for me. Now, notice who's asking this. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the guy who wrote half of the New Testament. This is the guy who went to Asia Minor and launched a whole movement of Christianity and hundreds of churches. This is the guy who went to Rome and died for his faith. And this is his prayer. 
Pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, why do you think the Apostle Paul prayed that he would proclaim the message of God's grace fearlessly? Any thoughts? None. Okay, I'll I'll tell you my thought. Because he was afraid. Because he was afraid. Because he needed God to give him courage and boldness. You ever been there? Isn't it encouraging to know, like the guys that we look up to, the guy that God used to write half of the New Testament says, man, I'm afraid. Would you pray that I proclaim it fearlessly? Because there's times when I'm afraid and I need courage. There's times when I need boldness and I want to shrink back. There's times when I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do, but I don't want to do it. I'm afraid. And I'd say for us as a church, as we step into year two, would we pray that God would give us the words to say that we may proclaim it clearly as we should, that, we would pro- that he would allow us to be fearless, that he would give us courage and boldness. And if it was good enough for Paul to pray for it, then I think we should too. So would you get on your knees with me and let's just spend a season and just pray that God, and you know the situation in your life, and it may be a relationship, you need courage. It may be a circumstance, you need boldness. It may be uh, something going on where God's been prompting some things in your heart, and you go, God, would you give me courage around that area? May I be bold. I just want to give you a season, and the band's going to come up, and then I'm going to close us in prayer. But just give you a season where you can pray. And invite God to give you courage and boldness. God, thanks for this community. Thanks for the school that we get to meet at. Thanks for bringing us here. Thanks for the work you're doing. Thanks for the lives changed this last year. And Father, we ask as a community that you would embolden us, that you would infuse us with courage. We confess, God, that we're afraid to love our neighbors the way you've called us to love our neighbors. We're afraid to love our fellow students and co-workers the way you've called us to love them. We're afraid to even at times just tell them that we're going to church or utter your name without being derogatory. God, we just confess we're afraid. And Would you give us courage and boldness as a community to bring your life, your hope, your love, your forgiveness to a hurting and broken world? God, would you infuse us with your boldness that we would be fearless 
to extend your compassion to this city, God. Would you use us as a church, God? We desperately pray that you would use us as a community to awaken this city, that we would see your revival happen here because we banded together and said, God, we long to see you do what only you can do, that you would get all the glory, that your name would be lifted high. In Jesus' name.